Welcome to Take Z, a podcast where we talk about news and politics from a Generation Z perspective. We'll be discussing three separate events that we see as important and how they impact the world around us. We'll also talk a little bit about some of the happier things in the news and chat about a Zoom of the week, someone from Generation Z who we think is doing some good stuff. I'm Jess. And I'm Ellie. And we're your hosts. Okay, so our first story today is the fact that Facebook has announced the freezing of political ads before the US presidential election. This basically means that Mark Zuckerberg has come out and said that he will not take on any new political ads in the seven days prior to the US election on the 3rd of November, but he will still allow other ads to be promoted. So what do you think about this? Because I thought it was a really bad thing when I first heard about it, but now I'm kind of sceptical about like, I don't know, what do you think? So this is very interesting. Um, So any new political ads, so that means that any existing ads can still be played. Initially, I I heard you talk about this and I think like, oh, that's actually a bit of a problematic thing because it sounds like censorship, right? And we all know censorship is the first warning sign of something problematic happening, right? especially when it comes to politics and political views. But then again, like, we know that Facebook has a massive, massive problem with fake news, right? That it hasn't really addressed. And it'll be interesting, I think, to see if... um, Well, actually, this is a question for you. Do you think that this will help tackle the fake news that Facebook has? Or do you think it doesn't really address the issue? Okay, so here's the thing with that. I completely understand the reasoning behind like Zuckerberg's decision but I think completely in terms of the political election there are people when I've been like reading up on it talking about how like Trump's alignment and as well as Biden's are just gonna hack the system with that it's only seven days before the presidential election that they they can't bring in new media right so eight days before Mm. do it and it can still run because it was oh so it doesn't even Oh, so during that period, it's not like a complete ban of political ads. It's just new ones coming in. Yeah. So it's literally just new ones, which means that it's very easy to go about and go around it. There's still manipulation like within politics anyway, because they can do that. Yeah. So this very much seems sort of ineffective, if if I'm honest. One thing I would love to know is what have kind of public figures and public bodies have, have they said anything about this decision? I know that um, Trump was discussing about how he encourages voters in North Carolina to vote twice. Um, hmm. And that was one of the... I know, I know, it's Trump favourites. <laughs> but when that happened, that was kind of the catalyst for Zuckerberg to be like, OK, I need to sort something out. Um, because one thing is fake news and one thing is promoting illegal politics. Yeah. Um, so Trump, I'm pretty sure he made a tweet about it. He always makes a tweet about yeah, it. Yeah, doesn't he? Loves his Twitter. <laughs> um, 
just basically explaining how um, it would be ineffective and, you know, how popular he thinks he is. So I think um, other figures haven't really made statements on it, to be fair. Okay. And what about any kind of, like, fact-checking bodies? Has anyone come and sort of criticised this from a kind of um, corporation platform rather than like a an individual politician platform because I think I think the way that um bodies will kind of navigate this thing will be different to the um the politicians who are affected by um Zuckerberg's ruling exactly so um there's something called the Mozilla Foundation it's a non-profit that looks at the safety amongst social media in today's world and they've commented on it and basically expressed the fact that it's going to be easier for politicians even easier for politicians and their supporters to parade fiction as fact um, and avoid being called out on this fake news until it's too late because they have that opportunity to create a fake news platform and then with this new ban a week before they can keep it and it doesn't need to be taken down because of like this new mandate that Zuckerberg is expressing and as well as that you've got the chief of media matters for America um they've basically expressed what we were just talking about about how ineffective and arguably pointless this is it sounds like he's trying to like evoke censorship and Mm. create a better like a a lack of divide between america because this is the whole reason he's done it because um what do you say he says he's worried about divisions in the country potentially leading to civil unrest and i don't know how i feel about that because it's like we live in a democracy right yeah that's our opinions there's a whole thing about freedom of speech in america which is a huge thing um and the fact that he's actively saying well eight like seven eight days before i'm going to stop um election ads from being able to be on social media it's kind of like where is that line of expressing yourself and getting rid of hateful things absolutely and I think you know th- this kind of whole um idea to 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 prevent civil unrest I don't think that you know banning f- Facebook political ads for such a short amount of time is actually going to have any or little effect on on civil unrest which I would arguably say is already happening in america um but on the reverse is i think it is a step forward for zuckerberg considering like how long he's kind of let the fake news platforms like exist i suppose it is a, a step in the right direction um how do you think if if at all this will affect the uh 2020 presidential election It's a difficult thing because obviously in terms of social media, Facebook, and I'm generalising, but Facebook tends to be something that, you know, young people aren't on as much. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's definitely going to, well, I don't even know if it will affect it at all, really. If there's not going to be a lot of ads that can come in, the same thing's going to happen, but Zuckerberg's saying he's doing something about it, right? Yeah. So there's still going to be Trump making up a bunch of rubbish, like Biden doing his thing (laughs) like it's just I I really don't know if it's going to affect it massively um I do think there might be um yeah maybe a lack of um less arguing on social media amongst you know some generations yeah Do, do you think Facebook is a is a site that you specifically see a lot of intergenerational conflict. I think it's really, really interesting to put this into context with not strictly relevant, but 
the Black Lives Matter movement, right? I know, I don't know about you, but on my Facebook, I've seen a lot more kind of younger people actually challenging their kind of older relatives and family friends on, on, on their, you might argue, outdated beliefs, right? Um, so do you think perhaps not on like a wider political level, this won't have too much of an effect, but on a personal level, how do you think this kind of, um, or sort of try a, a, a vague attempt at depoliticizing the space how do you think that will affect like interpersonal relations well the thing is i certainly think there's going to be a bit of an uproar if you will <laughs> of people who really appreciate and hold on to their free speech and they're probably gonna be questioning and arguing with other people's views um due to the fact that they're information has been taken away within the last week i mean we know how political elections work the last week's the most important week you, you've really got to like drill in the information into your um supporters so yeah i do, do you know what i mean though do you think that there's going to be definitely a divide between those who are going to find this very worrying and concerning and those who actually are going to think it's quite ineffective and like i think so honestly i think the very problem that zuckerberg is trying to combat I think perhaps this might make it worse somehow, you know? What he was talking about, like, you know, divide, civil, civil unrest and divi um, divisions, in like, in society. You're right in that I think those who, who really do believe strongly in and in, uh, enshrine their freedom of speech will feel... I don't want to use the word attacked, but <laughs> do, you, you know what I mean, right? Um mm -hmm. And, you know, it, I think it will create even more distrust in the media, which we see a lot of, you know, with the whole... It, it was Trump, after all, who coined this kind of notion of fake news and and um, delegitimising um, the kind of the mass media, right? Um, along the same vein, um, with Trump, do you think there is any bias against or towards him and his campaign? specifically in this you mean due to the fact that the um ads are being like eradicated yes it's a difficult one because that's honestly the first time i read it i did um kind of get this vibe that it was to kind of get rid of all of the potentially like triggering i say in quote marks um in like aid of Trump, you know, like let's try and like dole down like the bad stuff he says because it's bad for my website. <laughs> and I like my immediate coin was like, oh, surely he's gonna like not get more votes, but at least not be perceived as the man he actually is, you know? Yeah. Um, it's a very, very interesting one, especially what do you think in terms of Trump's presidency? Obviously within places like Twitter and stuff, it's more prevalent, but what about Facebook? I think on Facebook, he and his team, I I, I expect to see a tweet about it <laughs> and about how, you know, it's, it's specifically targeted at him because I, I think he loves to make himself the victim. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. But in terms of, like, his actual supportership, I don't think it is actually genuinely biased against him. I don't think it will actually have any difference because I think computer algorithms work in such a way that 
if the content if you are looking actively searching for the content it will come to you yeah and there are lots of very very prevalent you know kind of other kinds of websites that don't have any kind of fact checking or any kind of you know banning of political ads as well that right wingers you know tend to flock to especially the extreme right wing take 4chan for example um if you know and, and then there are kind of private domain websites that aren't necessarily social media platforms as well um where people can flock to um so i don't actually think it will make a large amount of difference in terms of his supportership but i do think that he will argue it will for political gain definitely so overall then um something that i find really interesting about zuckerberg's approach in general um zuckerberg and people who work at facebook have previously stated that ads placed by candidates aren't fact-checked so it isn't just a problem with fake news politically they don't even check campaigning ads on their own site um and in order to prevent this he is instilling a weak ban on ads and i think it's very very counterintuitive because he's kind of saying one thing and then doing something kind of he's like skimming around it instead of actually targeting doing something about it absolutely like obviously i don't really know how it would work <laughs> but um instilling something to check the ads obviously i know there are way too many out there but it's so much more important to check the like how legitimate a trump campaign is someone who's going to be a global leader rather than like a clothing brand you know yeah. like absolutely i think i mean you you know people often refer to the American president as the quote-unquote leader of the free world, right? Um, I think as much as I dislike that kind of name intensely, I think it's, it summarises really nicely the importance of, of the, the um, American president and their power and influence that they do have. Um, and to not be fact-checking, it, I think, is a disservice to the the global public um and they don't really have an excuse i'm not gonna lie because there are lots of fact checking charities full fact is a great one in the uk here um but i i i have to say actually i did um one of my friends uh on facebook uh, posted about um something political um and underneath um there was a link to um uh, a full fact page which um facebook had put on it wasn't him it was like attached to his post that facebook had done so i was really actually quite pleased to see that because it i did not expect it um yeah so it sounds like right um but i think it's interesting that they would only that or at least so far i have only seen it on you know an individual's platform who you know who is you know it's a private account it's not for the the larger public right it's interesting that they're doing that you know between friends rather than like for these kind of great public figures definitely and with that there's also it bears the question of how is this going to pan out for the u.s election on the 3rd of november we'll just we'll just have to wait and see really yeah so next up and something that i find really interesting is that a church in Georgia, USA, has become the first in the USA to split from the United Methodist Church due to LGBTQ rights. 
Um, so it's very a double-edged sword here. It happened on September the 3rd, so literally last week, um, to Asbury Memorial United Methodist Church. It's a Savannah congregation, and it's newly going to be described as non-denominational over the Methodist due to their inclusion of the LGBT community in their church. This is a tricky one because mm. when I heard this, I thought it was great. There's inclusivity for the LGBT community. Um, but also, how do you feel about the fact that they've had to disaffiliate from a religious entity in order to be able to do that? Mm. It's very interesting, isn't it? Um, so first of all, the United Methodist Church, I gather, is a kind of a, a nationwide church, right, that has certain rules and bindings for you to be able to sort of affiliate your church with that movement correct um organized religion i don't know about you but i have kind of always thought that there's something inherently political about a a, a large scale organized religion um and i think america in particular um exemplifies that definitely yeah and obviously there is such an innate history behind religion and whilst myself i'm not particularly religious i do think that religion can be a great thing you know um mm -hmm. it brings a lot of people together it creates a sense of community i just think it's really about learning how we as a society and obviously it might be an individual thing like accept where the lines can be blurred and where we can accept and disallow certain things so for example the reason why this happened was because they voted against homosexuality in this church and um, there was 54.5 percent who voted against it so you know we can see the blur blurred lines because it isn't as excessive as maybe it was 30 40 years ago um at the special session of the general conference in st louis in february 2019 right um so this church basically decided that that wasn't for them they had realized that they had quite a big lgbt following because they did a lot of community theater um and so yeah it's just one of those things isn't it where i think it's brilliant that there is such a safe space for queer people to be able to go and express themselves to be able to be religious and to feel safe and comfortable however i do question the fact that we need that space, you know? Yeah. And integrating that in general religious practice. Yeah. It's like, should it be acceptable to um, create a community at the expense of, you know, certain certain people, essentially? Like, is it is it, do, do religious communities have a right to exclude those people? And I think the answer really, as you say, it really does vary and depend upon histories of nations i think because i think for example take the church of scotland right scotland and england you know have very based on common law systems and have very um flexible you know adaptable um political systems and we have a we have a separation between church and state here which i think is very very important um do you think that people have a right to create a religious community at the expense of others? That's the thing, though. That's such a difficult question. And it's certainly a problematic one, right? I think it is a problematic thing to do, but do they have the right? I don't know. 
I think when talking about rights it is so tricky because do I have the right to take away a right that they have mm. very complex I definitely think that it's appalling behavior to segregate somebody based off of something that they can't help um but also I can't negate I can't negate people of religion yeah and I think also like you can't force someone to tolerate someone I think like in it sounds like I'm defending homophobia (laughs) not what I mean I mean in a sense in if there is a space in which the entire community makes somebody feel unwelcome is that person going to want to be in that space anyway yeah um I think it's a wonderful thing that LGBTQ plus people have spaces and religious spaces of their own. I think that intersection is really important because there are a lot of religious LGBTQ plus people. Um, but, you know, in an ideal world, those two freedoms should be able to coexist. But in reality, of course, they play out incredibly differently. Do you think that this will spark other churches to follow suit like or do you think it's just kind of like a a one-off thing potentially potentially it's just now that one church has done it I think it does give option for other churches to think about where they stand because if you don't have an example of something like that then a lot of the time you don't take that step you know which which is why I think this thing is so interesting and very very bold of them you know yeah so what does this mean for Asbury Church now that they are no longer part of the United Methodist Church? So um, I think they're currently in the process of writing the bylaws, nothing set in stone. Um, the Reverend um, Billy Hester and his wife have basically expressed that they want to take their time with their get some really good principles in place so it can be as inclusive for everyone as they can, mm. um, which I think is really good. Yeah. They're not trying to rush it. They've now got the... Um, non-denominational status and they can kind of work from there you know that's that's really good so overall do you think this is a positive thing for lgbtq plus christians and the community at large i think it is good for lgbt christians as one community because they have a safe space i think we do have to question society as a whole the fact that we have to put those things in place mm-hmm. um but unfortunately that's the way it is right now and we are making movements to try and change it okay so next up something that i really want to talk about is the megan the stallion shooting um so for those of you who don't know megan the stallion is a rapper who got shot in the foot in july by another rapper called tory lanes um she only came out about it at the beginning of August time and social media has kind of taken it by storm for all the wrong reasons, but we'll get to that. Um, there really is, alongside the BLM movement, a massive lack of conversation about what's going on with Megan and what went down. It's been turned into like this strange, memeable joke because, you know, oh, she got shot in the foot. Like, wait, wait, but um, I was just wondering about like what you think about it. Do you think that there's a particular reason for this? What do you think makes it so easy for people to think that they can take the piss out of this in comparison to something else? Do you know what? When I was thinking about this, um, it really reminded me of the way that the internet has treated um, Breonna Taylor 
um yeah. the um the emergency medic who got shot in her own bed um by police in in Louisville Kentucky in the US um it the treatment of her her trauma and her family's trauma as well i think really brings a strange parallel to to Megan here um in that for some reason when black women experience and go through trauma in the public eye it's memefied um and i think it has everything to do with this horrific um intersection of um sexism and racism uh, otherwise known as misogynoir um i think if megan were white or a man things would have been entirely different um especially because when megan came out claiming about this um she she made a statement saying that she lied originally and said that she trod on broken glass when she went to get stuff sorted because she was scared police would start shooting if she said a gun was involved um her direct quote was i didn't tell the police nothing because i didn't want us to get in no more trouble than we was about to get in um but when you think about it like this woman suffered she got shot in the foot she had to have surgery to get the bullets taken out this isn't like a light thing that went on yeah but people try to like make it this big thing they've kind of involved kylie jenner and been like oh like megan like they're accusing megan of punching him before and all this stuff she's had to come out and say that that didn't happen and it's just such a shame to see and i think as well even if things had occurred beforehand that's still not a reason to shoot someone I don't think it's any kind of justification for gun violence whatsoever. Um, And I think the way that the kind of, you know, the public has has sort of discussed this is deplorable. I think it's really awful um, because they're essentially blaming her and she's the one who's been through something traumatic. And the the very fact that even, you know, Megan as a celebrity um, cannot trust the police, like says something about the society that we live in. It really does. It really does. The fact that it took her a while to come out and speak about it, and then when she did, she had to create another statement talking about how she isn't a snitch because people were taking that approach rather than holding Tory accountable. They were having a go at her for, like, telling on him. Like, what? What world do we live in where that's the way that we go about this kind of situation? Yeah. It's not okay. It's like inhumane. Yes, absolutely. I completely agree. So the fact that the internet has, quote-unquote, cancelled Megan for for this, do you think that there is a kind of sexist, racist agenda in cancel culture? Do you think it disproportionate, disproportionately affects, um, you know, women of colour? Honestly, it... <sighs> You look at the evidence and there is clearly a stigma towards people finding it easier to not just cancel women and women of colour, um, but to hold on to that. You know, cancel culture is very fleeting and it goes by, but this seems to go on for longer. If we look as a parallel, like Logan Paul, for example, mm. like a, a white man who did something appalling he like filmed someone's dead body for crying out loud and he had to deal with three weeks of damnation and then he was all right again he's now like making a load of stuff and he's completely okay whereas like megan d stallion had to really think about this yeah 
think about whether she should come out and say something that isn't even comparable. Do you think that, obviously this has only just really happened, do you think that the kind of um, after effects of this will last longer than, for example, as you say, the Logan Paul filming a dead body drama? God, I hope not. Um, I've been seeing actually um, certain performers female performers have been reaching out to Megan and supporting her. So, for example, um, Kalani had a album coming out and Tory Lanez was on one of the songs and she's removed him. So she's um, been like, I'm not having anything to do with that. Um, the singer Jojo's like created support. So I really hope that because we're in a place of acceptance and like women and women of colour really like joining together, um, and supporting them through the BLM movement and everything, um, that this will go away quicker than I pessimistically think it's going to. I hope so too. Nice news. Um, <laughs> the section of our podcast where we talk about something happy that's happening in the world right now. Um, so our nice news this week is that Nicola Adams, an openly bisexual Great British boxer, is the first celebrity to enter Strictly Come Dancing and be matched with a woman. <laughs> We love to see it. <laughs> it's, so it's so nice. For those of you who don't know what Strictly Come Dancing is, it is a televised dancing show here in the UK um, where a celebrity enters and uh, gets paired with a professional ballroom dancer and they have to compete to win the glitter ball. Um, oh. And apologies to put it in such binary terms, but most of the time, um, if a, uh, a woman enters... Uh, she gets paired with a man, and if a man enters, he gets paired with a woman. Um, so it is really refreshing to see, you know, for the first time in the show's history, that that is not the case. Okay, so Strictly actually jumped on the representation wagon last <laughs> year when um, two professional male dancers performed together as Emily Sanday performed on a results show. This actually sparked a lot of controversy. The BBC directly got 189 complaints, like phone calls and letters. Um, people got so mad. And yet the BBC are still taking it in their stride and are willing to do this. I think it's so refreshing to see that because a lot of the time, especially in places like BBC and ITV, when you see representation beginning, if they don't get a great response to it, they tend to maybe hone in a yeah. little bit. But like Strictly have really gone, actually, no, we're going to continue. Yeah. Which I think great i'm i'm i think it's really positive that they've done that too um because often you know public opinion on things like this um matters in my opinion far too much um so yeah uh nicola was quoted uh saying that she thinks it's really important definitely a time for change um and that she was the one who requested to have a same-sex partner i think that's so great yeah it's isn't so it good that she's the one that was like you know what i want to do this and they were willing to do that i just yeah. willing it's it's neither here nor there no. like she's a very very strong woman i think i have a lot of respect for her yeah me too and i really hope it goes far like there's some like beef about the professional dancer katia really wants her okay i don't know um but we'll have to see how it goes. I'm really looking forward to seeing it, actually. I love Strictly, so can't wait to see how she gets on. Our next section is called Zuma of the Week. In this section, we're going to look at the work of one prolific member of Generation Z and see what they're doing to benefit our world. 
So this week we are looking at Lizzie Kang. She is a TikTok creator who came up on my For You page a couple of days ago when I saw one of her TikToks that I thought was really, really interesting and a great way to spread body positivity. I think recently as TikToks become exceedingly popular, we've really started to see this body acceptance, body positivity movement, which is really refreshing. So in the TikTok itself, Lizzie is getting ready to do a TikTok dance to a side-to-side -side Captain Hook remix. And when the beat drops, she gets her stomach out with her jeans and just lets her belly roam free. Um, and something that's really great about this, which is what caught my eye, is one, that's great about body acceptance and teaching people around you the way that we should be feeling and normalising our own bodies. But two, other people have joined in as well. So I think there's now like six or seven girls on this chain who have all like come together to do the exact same thing um, and to just normalize, you know, having belly fat is something that there is such a stigma amongst social media that girls have to be presented a certain way and to be able to do that with such pride. I just thought it was great. It was yeah. so nice. And not only has it come up on your page, it's come up on a lot of other people's For You page. I think um, at the time of recording, there's 17.3 million views on this TikTok of, of this girl and her belly, which doesn't sound particularly radical but i think it's absolutely incredible given you know our society's kind of um stigma towards like like you know normalizing bellies and belly fat and and this kind of you know photoshop standard that we have in the media that's exactly it and like obviously as women ourselves it's so easy to get wrapped up in the way that society wants to deem you it's so difficult sometimes and i think it's very refreshing because like um i was thinking about before obviously when celebrities do it so you know when a celebrity shows well, they, like after they've been pregnant like Katy perry for example showing her belly fat and stuff that's really great it really is but it's something about just normal like i'm gonna say for all intents and purposes like a, a non-famous there you go a non-famous person um, who's just on TikTok, just doing it, you know, because they can. It's so great. And I think the more people that do this, the more normalised it's going to become. Yeah, definitely. And her page as well, like, she she does, like, make a lot of body positivity um, content. And I think as well, like, um, she herself is a woman of colour. I think it's especially important for women of colour to feel like their bodies are accepted and celebrated as well because the body, the body positivity movement was founded by black women um, and I think um, in Lizzie's work it's she really does aim to hone back to, to its you know roots. Definitely it's really interesting how she combats criticism as well because looking at that video that she created there's so many comments from men being like all right boys we've been deceived we've been played and she's commented back being like i don't do this for you actually which is yeah. really nice to be fair because you don't clearly and there's just this whole weird entitlement amongst like men like as if we like look a certain way to like please them yeah i think that that also speaks to the dangers of this kind of photoshopped you know size two standard um because it it it's clear a lot of kind of the the men that are commenting on this video are used to seeing um this kind of picturesque ideal and that it's a lie quote unquote that you know these women are actually you know showing their natural bodies
Okay, thank you so much for listening to our very first episode. Take Z is co-hosted and co-produced by Jess Smith and Ellie Cheevers with original music by Sam Joseph Cochran. We really hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you have any suggestions or feedback, please see the link in the description for our social media. We would really love to chat with you. We're aiming to release this podcast bi-weekly, so see you soon. Let's go.